How's everyone doing? It's been a wonderful service so far, and I'm excited that we get to continue our study called Finding Jonah. So this is part three. We can open up our Bibles to Jonah chapter three. And uh, we've been studying this book for the last few weeks. If you're just joining uh, with us, uh, we've had a, a whale of a time getting to know this complicated prophet, um, fishing out meaning from the different chapters for our life. And in chapter one, uh, basically, if you don't remember or if you're not familiar, God tells Jonah to go warn the wicked city of Nineveh. And there was these two Hebrew words that we uh, talked about, kum and kara. And this basically is the words that are translated, go and proclaim, go and preach, go and speak to those people. And instead of the prophet obeying God, he goes the opposite direction and tries to get away to a place called Tarshish, which is like ancient Hawaii, where everyone would go on vacation, waterfall, sunshine, beaches. But on his way there, he runs into a problem. There's a big storm, uh, stops him in his tracks, but he doesn't pray. Uh, he doesn't confess to the sailors. He goes to sleep. And eventually, finally, he fesses up, says, throw me overboard. That'll stop the storm. It does. He's in the water. He thinks he's drowning. Seaweed wrapped around his head. And in chapter two, uh, basically at the beginning, a huge fish is provided by God and swallows him up. He lives in there for a short weekend. And then uh, you'd think he'd be even more depressed than the beginning, but he actually starts praising God and thanking him for delivering him from drowning. And we read through chapter two. He thanks him for keeping him alive. Now he's filled with hope and faith. So by the time we hit chapter three, he's ready to go kum and kara to get up and go speak to the people. So God finally releases him. And before we jump into chapter three proper, I want to remind you, we did talk a little bit about fact and faith and fiction last week, because uh, a lot of people hear this story and they say, oh, you know, it's a, it's a nice fable with good lessons or an allegory or parable or a good poem. And we talked about that. And we talked about the different opinions that people have about Jonah and which of the different sea creatures uh, could possibly hold him uh, in his mouth you know, is it the, the great white? Uh, you know, is it the whale? Is it a mammal? Is it a fish? How do we interpret that? There's all these different types of questions that people wrestle with. And, you know, could he breathe? And uh, how, did, how did he deal with the stomach acid? Did that bleach his skin and, and make him look different? And, you know, basically, we did find out that Jonah was a real prophet for a real king in a real place in a real time. And so we have a lot more evidence for this story than we do a lot of secular stories that we would take as historical fact. And so we were studying that, and we're going to look at a few other interesting historical facts today that will help us sort through that. But the bottom line is if someone disagrees or uh, has an issue with one of the things that we study here together, it's okay. There's no reason to get defensive. And basically, there's a story of a little girl uh, who I heard was talking to a teacher about whales and how she had heard in Sunday school how a whale had swallowed Jonah. That's kind of the way she heard it. And the teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because though they're very large uh, mammals, their throats are very small. And so the little girl remained steadfast in her position and she just reiterated, you know, indeed, a whale swallowed Jonah. You're not going to teach me something different. And so irritated, the teacher said again, well, a whale can't swallow a human. It's physically impossible. So the little girl said, uh, I'm not sure how it happened, but when I get to heaven, uh, I will just ask Jonah. 
And then, and, then, and then the teacher replied, a little bit annoyed by that, smugly said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And then the little girl said, well, then you can ask him. That's, that's not a good example. We don't want to be like the little girl. There's no reason to get defensive or persnickety or passive aggressive. In the end, the fish is only mentioned three times in the whole book. It's more a story about Jonah and his relationship with God and how we apply it to our lives. Let's jump in. Jonah chapter 3 in verse 1. Let's start with the first couple of verses. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah... A second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Let's actually stop there and make a couple of comments and we'll move forward. You know, God loves to give second chances. Isn't that awesome? I love right here that God isn't annoyed. He isn't, he doesn't seem irritated, doesn't seem angry or frustrated or fed up with Jonah or want to, you know, put his wrath down on him. He knows Jonah's struggles. He's been with him the whole time and he's giving him another shot. He even uses the exact same words that he used with them at the very beginning. Kum and Kara. I'm calling you to the same thing that I did before. You know, how does it feel for us when we get second chances in life? You know, isn't it awesome to get a redo on something when you feel like you messed up or made a mistake? I remember learning how to golf uh, from a great uncle, and uh, he said, "Uh, don't worry, you can do it again. I said, really? He goes, yeah, it's called a mulligan. I'm like, I like this mulligan thing. That's awesome. Yeah, you get a do-over. And so I started applying it to other areas of my life. As a young nine-year-old, I thought I get mulligan in every area. So I got a bad grade. I said, well, I'm going to take a mulligan on that. You know, I disobey my parents. I'm going to just take a mulligan. And so, you know, it didn't actually work out the same way. But the concept is powerful to think about how God gives us mulligans. You know, when the prodigal son returns home in that great story that Jesus tells, you know, the father doesn't shame him. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't ignore him. Dad gives him a mulligan. He says, you can get a do-over. You know, Jesus says, don't just forgive once, forgive thousands of times. So many times you forgive that you lose count. You know, I'm so grateful that I got so many second chances uh, up to this point in my life. And I know I'll get more. God is so gracious. Uh, but particularly, I'm grateful I got a second chance with my little brother. You saw him up here. Did a great job on the song. It's been an amazing uh, worship service so far. But I, I did some things that an older brother should never do to a younger sibling. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm glad we can laugh about it now. But uh, at the time, not good. And uh, when I started studying the Bible, uh, I was really convicted. I felt very ashamed of the things I had done. And I uh, pursued godly sorrow. I wanted to make it right. And so I remember uh, a very important conversation that he and I had uh, in, in our room. And I apologized. And we shed tears together. And uh, he gave me a second chance. 
And, uh, you know, God continues to bless our relationship. Uh, we both became disciples of Jesus about a month apart. And uh, I got to perform his wedding. Uh, his beautiful uh, wife, Paula. And now he has a couple little rascals that are just too adorable uh, to do anything with. I just sit there and stare at them. Um, but it's just amazing how God can take a little conversation, something small, and make it so huge, so impacting, and change your life. Now, Jonah does get a second chance, but God's expectations are the same. And as we continue in our story right now and go into uh, the second part of verse 3, you're going to see that you know we continue to look at Jonah's transformation spiritually, and he goes way up and he goes way down. We're going to see that in the next couple of chapters, actually, in 3 and 4. But we can relate to him because we're up and down, and we're not just a single trajectory up all the time. If that was the case in your life, then there'd be something weird going on, and we'd be really suspect, right? We go up, we go down. But hopefully as you come out with a 30,000 foot view, even though there's up and down close up, when you look back, it's, it is a trajectory up that we're constantly trying to get closer to God. And, you know, same with us. You know, maybe you're starting or restarting a relationship with God today. Maybe it's been a bumpy road or maybe you encountered some bumps recently. No problem. You get a mulligan. That's how God works. And God will give you everything you need for the journey. Look at what it says. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to get through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I have to stop there again, too, and make a couple comments. How many words does he preach to the city of Nineveh? I count eight. If you go into the Hebrew, it's actually five. So even less. Five words Jonah comes up with for his big sermon for the city. He's had a lot of time to think about this. You know, some people say, oh, I wasn't ready. I didn't have enough alone time to really think through what I, you've had enough alone time, Jonah. You were, you were in your own private office for a weekend in the, in the fish. Uh, you've had a lot of time. It's several hundred miles to get from point A to point B to think as you travel. And this is what you come up with. To me, this is like being the valedictorian and giving the commencement speech and saying literally, good job, guys. You did it. Good luck out there. And then sitting down. It's like there's nothing there. It's so vague and obtuse and it's not specific. Imagine that you had three months to give a speech on television that thousands of people were going to see. And they're all watching. This is the first time you've addressed them. And you get this sort of carte blanche to say whatever you want. And you come up with, this is great. I've never been on TV before and I don't really know what to say. Uh, Stay in school. Say no to drugs. Bye. I mean, like, it's so vague. Eight words, five in Hebrew, that's all you can come up with? I know if I got that shot, I'd have a nice big sermon ready. I'd have all these illustrations about Ninevites and the stuff they'd done. I would do my history. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be ready to give God's message? And Jonah comes up with these five little words. And that's what he does. It's the world's shortest, lamest, prophetic warning ever. Like he scribbled something on a napkin after breakfast with like orange juice stains on the side and then held it up as he preached to the city. Think about it. 40 more days, then Nineveh will be overthrown. You don't even know what to do with that. Like, is there a call to repentance? Is there a mention of God? There's nothing there. It's all that's there. There's no directions. There's no nothing. 
It's just, okay, 40 days is going to be done. If I heard that and believed it, I would get out of town and probably I wouldn't believe it. So you got to imagine yourself being there, hearing this. What are you thinking if you're a Ninevite? Are you, are you going to be quick to believe the, the probably bleach-stained whale watcher, whatever, comes out of the water with his coarse hair robes on and just, pre- just preaching and spraying people with these eight words over and over throughout the city for three days? I don't know. You're a skeptical group. I don't think you'd believe it. But verse 5, what does it say? The Ninevites did what? They believed God. A fast was proclaimed. Not only did they believe God, which means they believed Jonah, and somehow inferred that this was from God Almighty. I don't know. I don't know. But they get a lot out of that. And then they decide, we're not going to eat. You know, we're going to do what the Hebrews do, this fast thing. We're not going to eat food. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Another thing Ninevites don't do, but Hebrews do. So we're going to take their customs, worship their God. We're going to totally believe what he's saying. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. This is amazing. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Even the animals, like puppies, don't eat breakfast. Like nothing, nothing. But let people and animals be covered. Even the animals had to be sackcloth covered. Then everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Just on the off chance, perhaps God will relent. We're going to go through all of this. Verse 10, when God saw that they did not, that they, what they did, and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Guys, the Ninevites were the worst. I gave you little glimpses in the last couple of weeks how violent they were, how graphically violent they were, unrelenting, and oh yes, very racist. They, yes, I know, there's been ignorant racists around for many thousands of years. And the crazy thing about God giving us free choice is that sometimes people make bad choices. Isn't that crazy? You ever make a bad choice? Yeah. No, three of us made bad choices. I love being in a room with perfect people. (laughs) And here's what's even crazier. The Ninevites, the racist nationalists in Nineveh that would rip people's limbs off just to prove a point how violent they were, how unrelenting they were, how arrogant they were, how selfish they were. God gives them a second chance too. You say, well, I don't have that heart. I'm not God. Amen that you're not. I don't have the words. I don't have the heart. I don't have the plan. It's okay. Jonah didn't either. And we'll learn more about that in chapter four. He was having a hard time. Maybe that's why he only bleeped out five words. He was like, I hope they don't change. We're going to get to that in chapter 4. But he took his little bit to the altar, and God took care of the rest. Sometimes God takes our little bit and amplifies it beyond anything that we can imagine. Because sometimes all we have is a little bit. You ever feel tapped out? 
You ever feel like all you got is a tiny little, even less than a mustard seed, right? And you're not exactly sure what to do with it. You don't think it could do much. And yet God, that's what he looks for. He's looking for a little bit to meet us and to make it amazing. You know, all Joseph had was a coat that got stolen and some weird dreams. And he changed a nation. All David had was five stones. All Nehemiah had was a hammer and an idea. All Esther had was a couple of good recipes in her cookbook. All Samson has was a jawbone and a death wish. The disciples at one point had only five loaves of bread and two fish. They were trying to feed like 10,000 people. It says 5,000 men. You got to double that. Probably more with kids. Probably looking at like 13,000. Five loaves of bread. Doesn't make sense. Not a good math equation to do. But Jesus says all we need is a little bit. Little bit of faith. Tiny little seed of faith. And he will multiply it. You know, we had an um, incredible uh, trip recently that uh, Arlene and I went on for our anniversary. Uh, and we met with the uh, Paris Church in France. And on Sunday, they asked us to share some good news. And this is a snapshot we took afterward in the fellowship. Uh, many of us know these are friends of New York from New York, Beth and Jeff Brewster, who are amazing and are constantly in and out of our fellowship and doing amazing things all over the world. And then it was wild because um, these guys were sitting third row, uh, kind of like where the canards are right now. And we were coming up to uh, share some good news. And, and Corinne, just do this really quick. So this woman, as I'm speaking, is... <laughs> Doing what Corinne is doing. Sorry, I put you on the spot. Great job. You did a great job. And, and, and right. So, so she's just like looking that happy going, ah, and like pointing back and forth and going like this. And that's a little distracting uh, when you're trying to share and you're getting uh, translated in French. Um, but turns out that she looks very different now, but we had worked with her in the full-time ministry in Los Angeles, uh, in the West region. And, uh, Narice is just this amazing soldier of Christ, been through so much. And so we were reconnecting with her. She was reconnecting while we were on stage. And, um, so we're fellowshipping with her afterward. Like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And, uh, well, you know what? I, I got stage four cancer and I'm going to die, but I'm traveling the world and we're making the best of it. And we renewed our vows, uh, in Rome and we're going to Spain. And, and I'm like, whoa, rewind. What'd you say? And she's just so happy. She's like, you know, I'm ready. God is awesome. And, you know, I'm growing my hair out again. And yeah, I know. And that was just so inspiring. She's like, I can't control this. I've done everything I can. It's in God's hands. I'm going to enjoy some time with my husband traveling and trying to distract speakers from the third row. (laughs) And then this very classy woman came over to me uh, and, and she in a very just whisper of a voice, hi, I'm Claudette. I'm 80 years old. Say, you look great. (laughs) She said, uh, it's so encouraging to hear good news from New York. You know, someone reached out to me in New York City. I've been a Christian now 25 years. I said, wow, did you become a Christian in the New York church? She said, no. Actually, I was reached out to there. I came to church a little bit, but then I moved down to Miami and my niece had started reaching out to me and brought me to church. I didn't know it was the same church uh, until later. And I became a Christian and was baptized down there. And I've always wanted to go back and find the ladies that were with me and reached out to me to thank them for what they did and changed my life. And I said, well, what are their names? She's like, I can't really remember. And I said, well, what do they look like? And I don't know, maybe I might know them. And she goes, well, maybe it's someone, something like Darlene. And I said, oh, is it Darlene Bill Grayson? 
and she stops and she grabs her arm. She gets goosebumps. A tear starts to form and she goes, that's her. She says, John, is she faithful? Oh yeah, she's more than faithful. She converted most of our ministry and then moved to LA. And now she's like building up the whole LA church. She goes, could we, could we connect? And so we're connecting them on Facebook. And Arlene talked to Darlene. And Darlene was like, yeah, we, we, we actually reached out to her. Uh, we were in this high-end uh, store or something like that. And uh, I guess later Claudette said, I would never talk to really anyone. But she looked like she had good taste. And she was looking at a, a Gucci bag. And so, I, so she, she asked me a question. And, and I answered, but normally I wouldn't. And... Uh, and Darlene recounts the story and just amazed at how this tiny little conversation yes, right. changes the trajectory of a life, a family, churches. And here we are telling the story right back where it started 25 years later. That's amazing. That's encouraging. That's what God does with a little. And sometimes we just have a little. We get tired. We get tapped out. We're exhausted. We feel like there's less than a mustard seed in the tank. Ever been there? And that's, that's why the scripture says he saved us when we were powerless. That's when God steps in, when we are tapped out, when we've emptied ourselves of ourselves. And we have room enough to let God in. He's looking for opportunities to amplify whatever it is that you can bring to the table. And sometimes even when we reach out and we share our faith, all we got is a couple of words and we sort of mumble them out. A church, Bible, God, maybe, I don't know. And people are like, uh, sometimes I don't know what you're talking about. And other times, 25 years later, they're looking for you because they found God through the words that you said, even though you weren't in, you weren't, your heart wasn't into it. Whatever we have to bring, God takes it and exponentially multiplies it. Let me show you another picture of some amazing people. That's Darlene right there. She's awesome. And that's not Darlene, that's Irene. Al mentioned it earlier. This is a seven to 10 hour surgery planned. I remember I saw the email came out, I think it was late Tuesday night, uh, to fill 18 slots so people could be praying the whole time that she was in surgery, this prayer chain. And I think the Zayas has sent it out. And by 8 a.m., people started to fill those slots. And I think by the time we hit midweek, either all the slots or one was left, all those slots got taken. Everyone, every minute of the day that she was in surgery, people were praying to God, crying out that things would go well. And uh, she has what she calls her pre-op game face right here. She's like, she posts this online, like, what? I'm ready. Let's do this. And everyone that knows Irene knows she is a faithful and fiery woman ready to go. And so she went in and uh, she was ready and she has so much faith. I think even right before she went in, she's still posting on Facebook, like uh, in her Facebook uh, uh, page that she has, fun things for disciples to do because that's just who she is. She's like, you know, I want people to have fun. I'll be in surgery, but that's okay. It's going to go great. So let me just post this real quick so other people can be served. That's how she's thinking. And so... She goes into surgery. I think it started really early morning, seven or whatever. She comes out. The spinal specialist says this was one of the most difficult operations he's ever performed. He says he can only say, this is a doctor under oath, all the rules and liabilities of life, says, I can only say that it was God who performed the surgery. Because it was a complete miracle that this operation was 100% successful. 
Yeah. He says, he has more. I was astonished at how easy everything went. And then he said, I can't really explain what happened in that surgery. I'm just quoting what I've been, te- you know, texted. I, I can't explain it. He said, Irene is doing great. She's moving. She can go back home in two days and resume her regular activities. See, God is at work. We put our little out there, our little prayers, our, you know, all we got is a little. And sometimes someone like Irene's got a lot. And big things happen. God loves jumping in. Sometimes we've heard of fundraisers where a company matches your funds, right? You put a thousand in, they put a thousand in. God is like, forget matching. I'm all about exponential multiplication. You put in one, I put in infinity. Like I will go beyond your imagination. You can't imagine what I'm going to do with your little wee tiny bit of faith. You know, it's amazing when you look at the history of what's going on in the Assyrian kingdom at this time. There's a unique window of this massive empire that was dominating the world in that time and place. This is the great city of Nineveh and the great kingdom of Assyria. But there's a weakness at the end of the 8th century BC. Uh, They got really spread out. They were fighting on so many different fronts that they were weak and vulnerable in areas that they weren't before. Nineveh in particular was vulnerable because of internal conflict represented by the ninja on the top of the castle. There was a huge famine right around this time as well that preceded Jonah coming. A lot of people thought the gods had cursed them. And so they're actually waiting and looking for different signs to have a change of spirit so that they would have food and all these kinds of things. They were lost. They were searching. They were humbled. They were ready. And then the biggest thing happens, which hadn't happened to them in their lifetime, a full eclipse of the sun, probably as historians recount, right before Jonah shows up with his bleached self. So Jonah shows up with his five Hebrew words. Guess what God's been doing? Paving the way. Since the beginning of time, plotting a course that would open up opportunities so that people could know him. I want to show you a clip as we've been doing the last few weeks. We've been watching what movie? I got a new one for you. It's called Finding Dory. You're like, oh, I haven't seen this. This is great. We're going to watch the whole thing. No, just a minute and 30 seconds. But... Let me set it up. Uh, Dory gets lost uh, trying to find her family and uh, meets a grumpy octopus named Hank, uh, voiced by Ed O'Neill. And uh, they make a deal to help each other. And uh, they have an interesting relationship. And I'll show you just a little bit of that right now. For the mysterious world of the open ocean. Okay, follow me. You're in a cup. Right, I'll follow you then. It feels like destiny. So what must be the millionth time? It's not destiny. 
Uh-oh. Have I said destiny before? I'm sorry. I'm just so nervous because I'm going to meet my parents. I haven't seen them in... I, I don't even know how long, but all you see, I suffer from short-term short memory loss. Look, no more talking, okay? I don't like talking. I don't like chattering questions. And, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, too. Newsflash. Nobody's fine. Oh, I'm fine. How are you? <sighs> hey, look, there's a map. Shh. The plan is you're going to read that and figure out where your parents live. And I'm on the truck to Cleveland. You got it? What was the first part again? <sighs> What, the octopus escaped again? Wow, look at all the exhibits. How can you do this park in one day, seriously? Pick one. Okay, um... Uh, we'll tell everyone to keep an eye out. I mean, we're supposed to be releasing the octopus back to the ocean today. Well, uh, of course I haven't seen him. If I was looking, I'd find him. Hey, there you are. Hurry up! Okay, okay, okay. All right, thank you, Dory and Hank. Right at the, uh, the beginning of the clip, if you could hear it, basically Dory says, uh, follow me. <laughs> and then Hank says, you're in a cup. <laughs> and then Dory says, right, I'll follow you then. <laughs> it's, I love that. It's funny how similar I think our relationship with God can be. Sometimes we're convinced that we're in the driver's seat, right? And we're like, you know, we tell God, you follow me. I got this. I'm driving. And God's like, you're in a cup. Like, you're, you're, you're limited. You're human. There's only so much. Let me help you. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, other times, and I love how the octopus kind of camouflages in and out, and uh, it kind of works in an invisible way. And uh, there's a time where, uh, right at the end, where Hank camouflages uh, as the plant or whatever, and then comes back to normal self, and Dory goes, hey, there you are. You know, like, like where, okay, anyway. Um, and, and again, I think in our relationship with God, how many times do we have to go through something and we weren't sure how we got through it. And then we like all of a sudden, oh, right, God got me through that. And, and we can be so uh, dumb sometimes and have such uh, incredible short term memory loss that we sort of exclude God from the picture of our lives. You no, know, it was me that did that. You know, I worked hard and I got that through. Wait a minute. Hang on a second. Do we believe in a powerful God that gets us through the bad times and also help us to celebrate the good times? and share that with others. Like, we got to remind ourselves that we're a lot like Dory in our little cup, uh, just trying to get the help that we need. God has been working on all these kinds of details all along. And as Dory takes this ride with Hank, there's so many little things that happen that she forgets or she's unaware of or she falls out of the cup and into a fishbowl and she doesn't know how she got there. And That's like God setting us up for victory. He wants so badly to help us get through it. And he just needs us to want him in our lives, in a relationship to be able to celebrate together and not try to do it all on our own. You know, these Ninevites were primed for God to work in their lives, absolutely ready to go. Um, I'll get to this in a minute because they have this incredible fast. And basically, like I said earlier, the Ninevites, these were, these were Assyrian pagans. They, they didn't fast. They didn't do sackcloth. These weren't the kind of customs they were used to. No, but they see that God, God of the Hebrews, is telling them to do something. They have belief. They believe the prophecy. So they decide to also follow through with the practices. If that's what God wants, that's what we'll do. You know, I reference a couple of scriptures up here in Matthew 6 and Isaiah 58. These are great passages that describe what fasting is. You know, giving up eating and in the place of eating, really spending time praying, getting close to God, practicing self-denial, not to starve yourself, but to really practice being in the presence of God and really focusing in on him. 
Um, it's not a visible show of righteousness. We don't brag about it. Uh, we don't tell everybody. They say, oh, uh, you lost weight. Well, I've been fasting for three days. For, you know, or, we, you know, wow, you, you seem tired. Well, I haven't eaten in three days because my church. You know, we don't do that kind of thing. We, we, we do it because Jesus did it. We do it because it helps us to be able to sort of reset a mindset about Jesus, about God, about what he's doing in our lives. And I think right now there's a lot we need to be praying and fasting about. Would you agree with that? Whether it's a couple of hundred miles away in Virginia, whether it's at your doorstep, uh, whether it's problems with people, whether it's stressing out about work or about finances or about family issues that you're going through right now, uh, whether it's feelings of loneliness or uh, just whether it's an ambition that you have that God hasn't helped you with and you feel like you're being held back in some way, all of these things, we need to pray about it because most of these things we can't control. And a lot of us have done as much as we can already. Now it's time to put it in God's hands. I also want to submit to you that uh, we need to fast and pray that God would find us a new beautiful location just like this to be able to meet on Sundays this fall. Because as of this time, uh, starting September 10th, we don't have a place to meet. We've been looking for the last three months, haven't been able to find anything, a lot of rejections. I got a, a girlfriend dump letter the other day. It was like... We had built this relationship and we were going to do it and everything was going to be great. And I'm so sorry to say this. It's not you. It's us. But we're going to have to not sign the contract with us. I wanted to cry, but um, I laughed instead. All right. God is in control. We need to fast and pray. So we are calling together a fast for the fall Friday. August 18th, whoever can jump in, whoever is able, whoever is willing, this Friday, August 18th, to be able to fast and pray, not just about the building, but about the big things that are going on in your life. Choose one, choose two, focus in, call it a 12-hour or a 24-hour, a drink-only water, unless health is an issue, you need to work around that, amen, don't get sick off this, but if you're able, spiritually commit to taking some time to dedicate a day to not eating and in those hunger pains, praying to God that he would act just like he did with Nineveh, just like he does with second chances, just like he did with Jesus to do something powerful in our lives. Amen? Amen. As we close out, we read Luke 11. As we've been reading, Jonah is mentioned all over the Bible and a few times by Jesus himself because Jonah blazes a trail for Jesus himself, the greatest prophet. You know, Jonah's released from death in the water to go preach to Nineveh. Three days down there, Jesus overcomes death. Three days buried, raises from the dead, preaches. Jonah gives them 40 days. Another comparison, contrast, analysis. Jesus, what does he do? He appears for another 40 days, right? Before he ascends to heaven. And Luke eleven thirty two 32 says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented. They did it. They got the second chance and they took it at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. It would be wild and bizarre and probably compelling if someone like Jonah came in out of the water and told his story and had these words of prophecy and and the sun was eclipsed and the famine happened and you were open and ready for it, but something even greater than all that has happened after that, and that's Jesus. And we have him captured in the text right in our hands to be able to repent, to be able to change, to be able to honor God with our lives. Jesus is the miracle, far greater than anything that we could experience from Jonah. And this is our challenge, 
to be able to walk in faith and to know that our little can be amplified into much more exponentially if we just bring it to God. Let's bow our heads and pray for the communion. Our Father in heaven, we, we ask that you supply what we are lacking. We know that you've done it in the past. There have been times we've been tired, tapped out, and you have somehow, in your grace, in your mercy, in your power, you filled us up. You helped us to get through it, and we're here today to talk about it. God, help us to have the faith, even as small as the mustard seed, that people we talk to will be open to hearing about you, that things that we're praying about, that they would be your will and that they would happen. Father, that we would have big dreams again, not only for us individually or for our families, but for your kingdom worldwide, for our churches here in New York. God, we ask that you will take the little that we have into this communion time right now. And as we celebrate your resurrection, and as we think about it through the lens of Jonah and all the power that's encapsulated in Jesus and his message, we ask that his body and his blood will not be spilt in vain, not be shed in vain, but that we will rise up from the ashes of our disbelief and our skepticism and our criticism and our self-doubt, and that we will believe in you in a greater way than we have and walk out of here new men and women as Jonah did when he walked into Nineveh. God, we love you and pray for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.